There's nothing like springtime in New York City. God has blessed us to leap over winter straight into spring. It's a beautiful day. And as I was driving to church, I'm asking myself, why are we going to sit in a building today? This should be a park service today. We should be outside, right? Uh, over um, at Giant Stadium uh, tailgating, getting ready for the 4 o'clock football game, grilling some sausages, right, Kevin? Or should I say Brussels sprouts for you? But grilling nothing the same, right? Well, it's great to see everyone here today. You know, I was thinking, I said, man, this is about maybe about third or fourth time preaching this year. And each time, Kevin Finney has been out of town. <laughs> and so I'm thinking, maybe he knows something that you guys don't know. And so he didn't want to put up with me, and he's leaving you to do so. But we'll see how it goes, all right? Amen. So why don't we start the word of prayer? Our Heavenly Father, it is great to be here today. It is great to be in your presence, God, to be able to sing songs that point to heaven, to sing songs that point to our salvation, where there will be no more tears, God. You know, a good cry makes us feel good or makes some people feel good. But generally, we don't like to cry because there's a sense of sadness, God. But you promise us that one day there'll be no more tears. But that place where there'll be no tears is in heaven. And God, we thank you so much for your word that shows us the way to you. How to be where you are one day. To be able to dwell in your presence forever. To be able to dwell in a sense of joy and happiness. And so, God, I come before you right now. We bow before you, God, praying that we that you use your word today to inspire us, to encourage us, Father, to help us to be the people that you call us to be. And we do thank you for Jesus, God. We thank you for his service and his life, God, his willingness to die, that we can all stand before you with confidence. We pray these things in his name. Amen. So today is all about Jesus. And the title of my message is In Service to Him. In Service to Him. You know, purpose and ambition, these are fuels that we use to really drive and compel us and life. You know, they're the source of our motivation, our will for the essence of our lives and the things that we do and why we do them. Because of our purposes that we may have in our hearts, because of our ambition, we allow these things to govern our plans. They govern our dreams and our aspirations, our hopes, 
that we have for life. They, re- they even control our schedules, the things that we do, how we set out to spend our time. You know, our, our, our purposes also influence our financial decisions. Think about the way that you spend your money. Think about the plans you have for your money. A lot of times these are motivated by what we feel that our purpose is in life. And we also know that in this life, we have to keep company. And we feel that if there's a person who can really help us with our vision, if there's an individual who can help us with our purpose for life, we want to keep company with that individual. We want to spend time with them, to learn from them, to glean, to ask them, what can I do? Or can you help me in a sense? In the same sense, if we feel that a person is not good for us from the standpoint that they hurt our ambition, they deter our dreams, we choose not to spend time with them. We choose not to keep company with them. And I believe all these things right here are wrapped up in how we live our lives. So purpose and ambition are important. You know, in a greater sense, Jesus had a purpose for his life. He had an ambition for what he wanted to accomplish in his life. And his purpose and his ambition, they drove him to live his life in a certain way. Turn with me, please, over to Matthew chapter 20. We're going to look at Jesus' life today. We're going to look to see how he lived his life to really fulfill God's vision and his purpose for his life. Over in Matthew chapter 20. Let's start reading in verse 20. It reads, Then the mother of Zebedee's sons came to Jesus with her son, and kneeling down asked a favor of him. What is it you want, he asked. She said, Grant that one of these two sons of mine may sit at your right and the other at your left in your kingdom. You don't know what you're asking, Jesus said to them. Can you drink the cup I'm going to drink? We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, you will indeed drink from my cup. But to sit at my right or my left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared by my father. When the ten heard about this, they were indignant. Or we would say they were ticked off. All right? With these two brothers, Jesus called them together. He said, guys, come to me here. Let's talk. You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus said, look, I came not to serve, 
excuse me, not to be served, but to serve. Not only that, I came to die for you. So, what was Jesus' purpose in life? Point number one, Jesus gave his life to serve and to die for you. Jesus gave his life to serve and to die for you. Now, we've all heard this many times. But I want to encourage us to really allow it to sink in that someone said that the sole purpose of my life is to serve you, is to die for you. And we may say that's not a great calling. You know, when we think about the purposes of our lives, we're looking to advance in our careers. We're looking for some kind of great achievement. We're not looking, you know what, imagine asking one of these teens here. So, when you graduate this upcoming spring, what is your goal? And that person said, Lord, well, I don't intend to go to college. I really don't intend to have any kind of profession. All I want to do is just to go around and humbly serve people. And not only that. I don't want to live a long life. I want to live a very short life for the sake of others. I want to die at a very young age to impact and influence others. If our person tells you that, you're like, what? What are you talking about? Because we all want to live a long life. But Jesus understood the purpose of his life. He not only, not only understood it, but he embraced it. He committed himself to being a servant and to giving his life as a ransom. And ransoms are given to get people out of bondage, to free them and to rescue them. So Jesus is saying, you are all bound by your sins. You are slaves. And I want to free you. That is why I would die for you. That is the purpose of my life. Amen? You know, take it personally. We say, yeah, we know John 3.16, for Christ to love the world. Right. But you are part of that world. Right? When you speak of the crowd, if there's a crowd of people and you're standing amongst the crowd and they say those people are there, that includes you. That includes me. So this is something that we need to take personally, that we need to have within our heart to really understand and to appreciate this right here. So this is how Jesus lived. This was the, his ultimate service was to sacrifice his life at about 33 years of old, 33 years of age. You know, none of us, well, I'm beyond 33. But for those who are not 33, you're not thinking, you know what? That's when I want to die. And I don't believe any of us are in here today thinking, you know what? I'll be happy to die tomorrow. I'm looking forward to dying tomorrow. I'm looking forward to giving it all up. You know, we're trying to say, man, if I can make 80 or whatever, we start thinking about our family members. Now, how old is my grandma? How, how, how old is my grandfather when he died? And what are my prospects and opportunities and chances to live a long life? That's how we think. 
But Jesus gave his life at about 33 years of age for you and for me. That was the prime of his life. You know, we don't want to die young because we think, man, I have so many years ahead of me. There is so much I want to do. There is so much I want to see. There is so much I want to accomplish. You know, I want to see my kids get married. I want to be a grandmother. I want to be a grandfather one day. I want to be to spoil my grandkids. I want to be to retire and to travel and to see places. I don't want to die young. That wasn't Jesus' ambition. That wasn't the purpose of his life. He wasn't looking forward to that. He was looking forward to the salvation of your soul. For the salvation of my soul. You know, and so this is amazing here. You know, so contrast what Jesus is saying here. Because it, it, it goes so much against the grain with who we are as people. It goes so much against the grain of who the disciples were. Because, you know... They put, they put their um, sweet old mother, look, James and I said, Mom, can you go and ask Jesus a favor for us? You know how you put somebody up to? Like, you know, I'm afraid to ask, but maybe if you ask, you know, it could be a, little, a younger sibling, go ask Mom and Dad, can we have some ice cream? You know, well, why don't you do it? Because you know what? You're the baby. You, just, you know, they, they'll give in to you. They can't resist you, but I'm a knucklehead. They're going to say no. Especially dad, so go to mom. Just skip over dad all the same. So, so they send their mom there and sweet old lady. Jesus, I have a question for you. What is it, darling? Now, Jesus already knew the question was. But, you know, he got to play along with it because we know that God knows all things. Amen? Can one of my sons sit at your right and your left in glory? You know, not asking for an extra piece of fish for, from dinner. But, hey, I want to be on the throne with you, Jesus. I want to be next to you. Because if I'm next to you, people are serving you. They're bowing down to you. And they'll think, man, look, 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 look at those guys next to Jesus. Look at them. And they just, you know, just, just smiling and cheesing all the same. You see... So they struggle with pride, right? And so the other ten, the other fellow, they heard about it. Man, they were ticked off. Now the question is, why do you think they were upset? Why not me, right? Now, it wasn't a righteous indignation. There are such things as righteous indignation, right? Well, when we get so ticked off at a certain injustice that we, we concern ourselves with people. And we saw that in many occasions with Jesus in the Bible. But these guys were ticked off. Man, I want to be right there. And they're upset too. They, they got beat to the punch. Not only that, they got their mother to do it. And so they're thinking, you know, man, Jesus is giving that position. I'm going to be so mad because I want to be up there. And so that's what they're feeling there. You know. And I'm sure they probably died. No, it's out of the purity of my heart that I was upset because you guys were really being prideful. But, you know, really, think about it. Sometimes our overreaction really reveals our hearts. Okay. 
It really reveals. And we, we try to say, no, man, it's not because of pride I'm upset. I'm upset because you're bothering the teacher with something like that ridiculous. But really, it's our pride that we have to deal with. And, then, and there, here's an example. You guys remember the Flintstones? Maybe the younger people don't. But the Flintstones was a cartoon, right, set in prehistory, uh, not pre, but some st- stone ages, bedrock. All right. And so the two main characters, Fred and Barney, they were pals, next-door neighbors, did everything together, and Fred was sort of like the head honcho. And so one day uh, Barney was over to Fred and Wimble's house, and they had some cake. And so Wimble cut, two, cut the cake, and there was a big piece, and there was a smaller piece, and there was a, a bigger piece of cake. And so Barney beat Fred to the punch. He grabs the bigger piece or the smaller piece? The big piece of cake, right? Something that you would do, you know. You know, something that Kristen did at uh, breakfast this morning with, with, with the bacon. But I'm not going to say anything. Okay. She grabbed the, I'm like, what's going on, you know. So, so Barney grabs the, the larger piece of cake. And he starts eating it right there. And Fred was just steaming. You know, smoke was coming out of his ears, and he was turning around. <clears throat> and Barney was like, Fred, what's the matter? What's the matter? What's wrong with you? He goes, you took the bigger piece of cake. He said, yeah, um, what would you have done? And Fred goes, I would have taken a smaller piece. <laughs> and so Barney goes, well, you got a smaller piece, so what are you complaining about? And Fred just lit up. He was upset. What did it reveal about his true intent and heart? Hmm? Just like the other ten who are indignant. Because we love to be first. We want the best for ourselves. We are selfish in our nature. You know... And we have to really deal with this pride right here. But you know what? Jesus, he didn't rebuke them. Now, Jesus saw everything crystal clear. He knew the motives of James and John's hearts, and he knew the motives of the other ten who were indignant. And he goes, look, this is a teachable moment here. I'm not going to slice and dice these guys. He called, you know, guys, just come here. Let's, let's have a little D group here. Let me tell you about the purpose of my life. Let me help you understand why I'm here. I left heaven to come here to serve you. I left glory to come here and to die at a very young age for you. You know, sometimes... A gentle whisper, a gentle answer can be more stinging than just a harsh rebuke. So imagine how they must have felt. Like, man, I feel like a hill now. Here I'm trying to sit next to you in glory, and you said you came here to serve me and to die for me. I feel bad about that. I shouldn't have this attitude. 
And so Jesus wanted to help them understand why he came. Over in John chapter 12, beginning in verse 23, we see that Jesus goes on a little further and he talks about this. In verse 23, John chapter 12, it reads, Jesus replied, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. I tell the truth, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. The man who loves his life will lose it while the man who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servant would be also. My father will honor the one who serves me. You see, Jesus understood that unless he died, we would not be here today. We would not have opportunity for salvation. You see, there is no church without the death of Jesus. There is no such thing as a Christian, as a disciple, as a believer, as a follower of God without Jesus dying on the cross. He said, I must die. If not, I'm a single seed. I'm a single life. All of us are here today, every person in the world today who knows the love of God, have an opportunity to be a part of God's kingdom because Jesus died on the cross. Without the cross, there is no church because the church was established on Jesus' death. You see, the church is not an institution of man. It is not man-made. Man has nothing to do with the origin and the will of God for his church. You know, you may say, well, this is obvious to me. Everyone knows that. But do we really know it in our hearts? Is it really in our hearts? And the disciples, they didn't fully understand this. They didn't fully see this right here. And over in Matthew 16, a passage that was um, alluded to earlier, when Jesus tells the disciples, look, I got to die. I'm going to the cross. I will give up my life for you. And you know what Peter did? He rebuked Jesus. Man, are you crazy? You're not going to do this. I will not allow this to happen. Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. Get behind me. You are a stumbling block. You're trying to prevent the establishment of God's church. You're trying to prevent salvation for the world. Get behind me. You do not have in things in mind the things of God, but the things of man. See, as people, as men and women, our goal is to live a long life. We're not living to sacrifice our lives for other people. See, those are the things of God in terms of sacrificing a life. That's not how we roll. 
That's not what our hearts are made of. And so Peter was saying, Jesus, you can't do this right here. Get behind me, Satan. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of man. See, man doesn't look to serve. Man does not look to give his life as a ransom. But there's a calling that we have. There should be an impact on our lives for Jesus' life on the cross. From his life of service and sacrifice us. Turn to Ephesians chapter 4. Open Ephesians chapter 4. Let us consider what impact should Jesus serving and dying for you have on your life? How should you live differently? How should I live differently because of Jesus' death, because of his service to me? Open Ephesians chapter 4. In verse 7, we pick it up. It says, But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he led captives into his train and gave gifts to men. Notice it says, but to each one of us, grace has been given and a portion that God thought about us individually when he bestowed his grace upon you and upon my life. He apportioned it. He gave it out in the measure that he did because there is a specific, a specific calling for your life and for my life as well. You know, it's interesting how Paul quotes this scripture here. And really, right, this scripture that he quotes is from psalm 68 and verse 18 and there's a little slight variation to it now read it goes when you ascended on high you led captives in your train and you received gifts from men even from the rebellious and so that you O lord god might dwell with them now here's the thing right here if you take psalm 68 think about a conquering king okay when he's parading and he's coming through town And he's coming back from victory, and behind him are his defeated, are the enslaved, in his train. And a conquering king pillages his his victims, okay, those who he overtakes. And they give him gifts. And this is contrast to, to Ephesians 4, where it says that Jesus, when he conquered death, When he nailed death on the cross, when he rose from the dead, he didn't demand gifts from us, but he gave you a gift. He gave me a gift. See, that's the contrast there with our conquering king. So you have been blessed. You haven't been endowed with certain gifts and abilities from God. Amen? But the question is, but why did he give you those gifts? And what did he give you? God has blessed you with the unique gifts and capabilities to serve his church. Amen? Amen. You have been blessed to serve God's church. 
See, God's grace provides us these gifts, and we should be using them to build up God's church and to see God lifted up. So what is it meant? A portion. Does that mean that some of us are more favored than others? You know, you may envision a Christmas scene, a family, and everyone has opened their gifts and the kids, and kids being who they are, uh, people being who they are, we may compare our gifts to the others. So imagine one kid getting a PS4 for, for Christmas, and the other kid's getting some kind of Etch-A-Sketch. You know, now, are they going to be equally happy? Huh? You know, is, is it like, um, what's going on here? Something's not right. I don't understand why he got this right here and I only got a uh, fill in the blank. We'll be upset, right? But here... It's a little different. It's not that God has blessed one person more than another. We're all equally blessed by God. Over in Romans chapter 4, we'll see what this means exactly here. I I said 4, I meant to say Romans chapter 12, sorry. Romans chapter 12, beginning in verse 4. In verse 4 it reads, Just as each of us, has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function. So in Christ we who are many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. And here it is right here in verse 6. We have different gifts according to the grace given us. If a man's gift is prophesying, let him use it in proportion to his faith. If it is serving, let him serve. If it is teaching, let him teach. If it is contributing, excuse me, if it is, if it is encouraging, let him, let him encourage. If it is contributing to the needs of others, let him, let him give generously. If it is leadership, let him govern diligently. If it is showing mercy, mercy, let him do it cheerfully. So, whatever our gift is, God is simply saying, use it. To the fullest extent. Use your gift to the fullest extent. Use it to build up the body. Use it to encourage. If you're a leader, lead. If you're a servant, serve. If you're generous, do so cheerfully. Whatever gift, whatever blessing you have in God. And over in 1 Peter... Chapter 4, verse 10, it reads, Each one should use whatever gift he has, been rec- he has received to serve others. Faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, he should do it as one speaking the very words of God. If anyone serves, he should do it with the strength God provides. So that in all things, God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. How is God's grace administered? Through us. God's grace 
will spread in your community, in your home, in your workplace, wherever we live, if we're using the gifts that God has endowed us with, if we're using the gifts that God has blessed us with, using to serve others. You see, the world says that I have these talents and I have these abilities and I'm going to use those things to only build my business, to build my career, to build my family, to build my, 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 whatever it is. You see, we're thinking about using our abilities for ourselves. Are you serving other people? God has blessed you. What are you doing with the things that God has given you, your abilities? Who has received God's grace because of you? Those are the questions that we should be asking ourselves. You see, we've all been given gifts. See, none of us should be sitting around saying, you know what? What can I do? Let old me. I cannot do very much. We can do anything that God has enabled us to do. The question, if we're doing nothing, it's because we have made the decision to bury the gifts that God has given us. Think about your special talents and abilities. And here's the thing right here. Satan wants to play on us. He wants to tell us that, you know what? You don't have the abilities, and, and we have a sense of timidity, and we don't have that sense of confidence that we can really do much. We may look at somebody else and say, well, I can see what she can do. I can see him doing something. But as for me, I can just show up. I can just sing some songs. Now, is that of God or is that of Satan? Who's talking to us in a situation like that? I believe it is Satan. And what I want us to think about, I believe gifts and talents are transferable skills. So what do I mean by that? What I mean by that is this right here. Think about in your life what you're good at. Think about what you're known for. Think about the things that people compliment and say, man, you know, you're really talented right there. Think about the abilities that allow you to receive raises and promotions on your job. Think about your talents that you imagine you're in this interview and you're trying to impress this prospective employer. You're thinking about, man, what am I good at? And those are the things you're trying to law. Those are the things you're trying to say, look, I'm good at this right here. I'm, I'm resourceful. I'm determined. I'm a problem solver. I make things happen. You know, I'm very efficient with my, using my time. I'm a very disciplined person. You're thinking about, man, what are my abilities? What are my attributes? I want you to understand these things because I want that job. And I am your man. I am your woman. You'll make the right decision. If you hire me, you see, those abilities and those talents, that, that skill set is transferable to the kingdom of God. And so my question to us is, are we using the abilities and talents that we have in a secular sense 
to advance God's church? Are we using these abilities to serve and to build up? Are we showing that same ambition and drive for God that we show for our lives? What are we using our talents for? And God is saying that I have blessed you with these abilities. I have given you these talents here. And I want you to use them for the edification and for the building up of my church. See, we have to understand that we are God's plan. God has no other plan than you. He has no other plan than me. If we don't serve, who's going to serve? If we don't give, who's going to give? Who else is going to build up God's church if it's not us? And Satan wants us to be intimidated by that. But look at it as a great opportunity. Look at it as an opportunity to serve God and to glorify God and to build up his church. Turn to Ephesians chapter 3. And this is Paul saying about his life. And I believe this applies to us in Ephesians chapter 3. We pick it up in verse 7. Paul says, I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given to me through the working of his power. Although I'm less than the least of all God's people, this grace was given me to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. And to make plain to everyone the ministration of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God, who created all things. His intent was that now through the church, his intent was now through the church. His intent was now through the church. The manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. It is through the church. We are the church. You as an individual make up the church. The power of one life. The power of your life. The power of my life makes known the manifold wisdom of God. That is incredible. That is, you know, we, be, we reveal God to the world. You know, there are many scientists who live their lives to discover these great mysteries of chemistry and physics that lead to medical breakthroughs. And we praise God for them because we all benefit from it. Amen? But how much more does the world benefit from your single life? That dies to bless many. Your single life that dies to bless many. When you serve and when I serve, we make a tremendous difference. And so we have to commit, we have to be committed to this right here to the very end because we're going to reveal Jesus. We're going to make known to the world God. There is no other plan, there is no other way, there's not a plan B. There's plan A and there's plan A. And 
as an individual, I must understand that I'm at the top of the list. You must understand as an individual that you are God's woman, that you're God's man. I don't care where you are in this metropolitan area, about 20 million people. If you're the only disciple around, you are God's person. You're God's man. You're God's woman. When you look around this church here and you see our many faults and cracks and all our problems, you are that solution. There's a lot that needs to change in this church. There's a lot that needs to be fixed. There is so much service that needs to be given. And we can't say, man, I'll be glad when Kevin comes back because he can take care of it. You know, oh, Nicole, she'll deal with it. You know, Lonnie will take care of it. Namaya, whomever. No, you are the man. You are the woman. You are the solution. You're the answer to all of our problems and ills at the church. And do we have problems? Have you complained about any problems? Well, guess who's going to fix them? Guess whose responsibility to serve? Guess who should be stepping up? Not pointing fingers unless you're pointing like this. This is the only way you can point a finger if you're pointing at yourself. There are a lot of needs here. There are a lot of responsibilities in this church. And you are God's plan. I'm God's plan. But each one of us must do our fair share. Amen? Amen. Open, um, open Ephesians chapter 4. In Ephesians chapter 4, you know, it talks about the various leaders that God has put in charge of his kingdom, of his church. And Paul is summing it up here. And in verse 12 in Ephesians 4, it says, To prepare God's people for works of service, so that the body of Christ may be built up, until we all reach unity in faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, and become mature attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we'll no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind and teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men and their deceit for scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up in him who is the head. That is Christ. And check this out in verse 16. From him the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. You see, God has put leaders in our lives to help us to be the people we need to be to serve his church, to build up the body of Christ. And this is how the church matures. This is how it grows. Because we're working together as individuals and collectively 
to build God's church. And if you've ever had a, a ligament injury before, you've had, oh, I know Lenny, we used to play football. How many surgeries did you have, Lenny? Five. That's it. Six. I'm not going to say he's damaged goods. I'm just going to say, I'm just saying he had some damage to his knees. And it's like, it was surgery after surgery, and they had an infection and things like that. And you understand the importance of a ligament when, when you snapped it or whatever, it, it pops or whatever. You walk around and you're young and nothing happens. You don't realize you have ligaments because you have no aches and pains. But if you tear a ligament, you understand the severity and importance of it. And if we have a torn ACL in our church as people or a torn meniscus, we cannot function as a church. We need these ligaments to heal. It's every supporting ligament. You're going to say, I don't know how many, um, how many ligaments in the body. Do you know? <laughs> Give me a number. Make one up. <laughs> I'm trying to ask my doctors here. A lot, okay? We have a lot of ligaments, right? How many of your ligaments you want to do without? Huh? We can't do without any of you. We need every one of you. We need all of us to support the church, the body. Our ligaments support our bodies. In the same way, we need to support God's body so that it can be built up and it grows in love. That's what we want, right? That's what we want as a people and as a church. And these are some things we want to focus on. And so I just want to mention a few things in closing. Uh, we had a meeting, um, and we're going to have midweek service on Tuesday, and we're going to have Jim and Teresa here, amen? And they're going to talk about some things that they've done up in um, Westchester to really get the church moving and everyone serving in a great way. And we're going to start talking about surveys and service teams and things like that. I don't want to go in detail because it can be kind of confusing. It'll take another 30 minutes, and I know we need to stop. But this Tuesday, we're going to talk about that. But as the body of, of, of Christ, let's come together. Let's live in service to him. Let's give our lives for the growth and edification of the church. Amen? Amen. To God be the glory.